Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 19. That's on page 16 of the Matthew's Gospel booklets. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Thanks, Tim, so much. Now, I don't know if you watch Michael McIntyre's big show, but it is, a, it is quite a good show on a, a Saturday evening. And just recently, he, um, he set a guy up who was a big Antiques Roadshow fan and also a a bit of a collector of kind of tic-tac sort of stuff that he thought was really precious, much to the upset of his wife, who didn't like her house being filled with all this sort of um, tacky stuff. Anyway, Michael McIntyre managed to get into the guy's house uh, with his wife's uh, uh, permission, took all of many of the key pieces of his collection, and then took it off to an antiques roadshow and filmed a completely... Um, uh, spoof Antiques Roadshow. So when Danny, our friend, was sat in front of the Antiques Roadshow with cameras all over his living room, suddenly all these items, which were actually his, though he didn't realize that because they'd been put back in his house, were on display. And gradually he began, this, it's an absolutely brilliant thing to download because you see the kind of realize, oh, we got one just like that. And oh yeah, that's just like the one, and he brings them out, and gradually his collection is suddenly worth hundreds of thousands. Um, it's, anyway, it's great fun, and then he appears on the big show and all the rest, he's a good sport. But uh, the letdown, when he realizes that it's not worth the hundreds of thousands that he thought it was. Well, our subject this lunchtime is something we're all invested in. Everybody sings, well, a lot of people sing about it. Madonna, it's a material world. Pink Floyd, it's a gas. Abba, it's a rich man's world. And plenty of people broadcast about it or write about it. Faisal Islam for the BBC, Larry Elliott, uh, The Guardian, Zani Minton Beddoes in The Economist. And then some get into really deep water over it. Liz Truss, Nadim Zahawi, and everybody here in one way or another is working in it, money. And I know that in the current economic climate, all of us in one way or another will be concerned about it. Raised cost of living of some, approaching annual reviews for others, bonus season, and so forth. But what we're thinking about is not quite as simple as pure hard cash. If you glance down to the bottom of the paragraph we just had read, verse 24 of Matthew chapter 6, you cannot serve God and money. And that statement there, God and money, is... God and mammon, which is more simply than hard cash, as we'll see in a moment. 
we spent some time since Christmas in this central section of the Sermon on the Mount. And we've discovered that the Lord's Prayer, Our Father in Heaven, lies at the very heart of the whole piece. And so we pray Our Father in Heaven, and Jesus teaches us that the very essence of his concern is that we have a right relationship with our Creator. Just pause for a moment. There really is nothing more wonderful than that, to know the God who may be nothing more precious Nothing more incorruptible or imperishable or indestructible than to know the creator of the universe as a father in heaven. But following the central piece of the Lord's Prayer, we then find in the Sermon on the Mount four negatives. You see one there in verse 19 at the start of our piece. Another in verse 25, do not be anxious. Another one in chapter 7, verse 1 don't judge, and then in chapter 7, verse 6. So as we look at today's section, we find these four things which might rot up our relationship. We've got such a precious thing, such a glorious treasure, a relationship with the creator of the universe, our Father in heaven. Now do not, do not, do not, do not four things that might rot that relationship up. And that word mammon, it's it's, uh, the root word means what we have confidence in, what we trust. It's not simply hard cash. Wealth, property, possessions, the portfolio, salaries, bonuses, but also status, place in the pecking order, career, standing. So Madonna is right. We live in a material world, but as those who treasure a relationship with our Creator, there is something that will rot that up, and it is mammon. And so three questions for us as we work through the verses 19 through 24. Where are we invested? How are our eyes who is our boss? So first, where are we invested? And here we're encouraged, Jesus encourages us, because of what's at stake, he encourages us to manage our finances ruthlessly. You know, if you're a Christian and you have a relationship with your creator in heaven, then we are not primarily materialists. Our father in heaven. So, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If we're going to get to grips with this, we need to get into verse 21 and do some very careful thinking because at first glance, if I might put it like this, It almost seems as if Jesus has got it the wrong way round. Look down at that sentence number 21 again, if you would. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, certainly I would have written it, where your heart is, there your treasure will be. And so would most other preachers I know. 
Most preachers I know tell us that we must learn to desire God, to get our motivation right and be passionate about God, and then everything else will follow. You've got to be passionate for the glory of God. But Jesus doesn't put it that way around. You've got a relationship with your Father in heaven, our Father in heaven. It is the most precious thing in the world. He's given it to us. We relate directly to the creator of the universe. Nobody can take that away from us. Manage your treasure, right? Because your heart will follow your treasure. So it strikes me that Jesus is so much more down to earth than most preachers are, and Jesus is much more practical than most of us are, and Jesus knows us better than our favorite preacher, and Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows that it's possible for us to say all the right things about God. I love God. I wouldn't in a million years dream of being a materialist. Madonna's got it completely wrong. I sing the worship songs, I love you, Lord, but at the same time to be living a completely double life and be governed by storing up our treasure on earth. So in fact, rather than following the creator God, we're following Madonna. So here's a question, who do we follow? And I guess the answer is how we manage our assets will give us a correct assessment. And so he warns us, don't lay up for yourself treasure on earth. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What we treasure will ultimately take us over. Now we need to be clear here that the heart refers to all of our being. The heart is not just our emotions, it's our wills, our souls, and our whole self. And so treasure in heaven here doesn't refer to something financial. Jesus is not saying there's a monetary bank up there in heaven and each one of us will be able to, you know, store up deposits for ourselves. No, treasure in heaven is the whole of chapter 6. It climaxes in a relationship with God and treasure in heaven is pleasing God, living for God, seeking the honor of God's name and the advance of God's kingdom. And so says Jesus, what do we treasure? What we treasure will ultimately take us over. And that explains why Jesus, I think, gives us this invaluable financial advice there in verses 19 and 20. On earth, moth, rust, and rust will destroy, and thieves will break in and steal. So lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in. And steal. Next time somebody asks if we've got a financial advisor, I hope we'll tell them that we've got the best financial advisor in the world, and his name is Jesus. And he's advised us only to advance in, uh, to invest in solid cast iron assets. And the one asset that is truly AAA rated is treasure in heaven. The language of 19 and 20 is so helpful. You know, think logically about it. If we store our capital wealth on earth, what ultimately is going to happen to it? Moth, rust, and thieves will get in. And in the first century, that was absolutely true because before we had banking systems and safe vaults, people stored their wealth through keeping it in precious garments, precious metals, 
and other hard commodities. Now, I know that the modern banking system means our capital is not necessarily subject to that kind of decay, but you know the financial history of the last 25 years. If it teaches us anything, nothing is safe. Think of those who invested with Mr. Madoff in 2007, or Bitcoin, or in the markets in the last 24 months. Here's a question. What would it take for you to be substantially ruined? Three percentage points? Five? Ten? And what of the rampant inflation that is even now eating away at our savings? And then what as we approach the end of our life and find that our savings are still intact? Well, even then, what will happen to them when we're gone? We can't take them with us. And so says Jesus, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And what of treasure in heaven? As I pursue this relationship with the creator of the universe, it is indestructible, incorruptible, imperishable. Well, we had such an example of that yesterday morning. So we had a very sad and tragic funeral of a lady in her mid-30s. And standing right here giving the eulogy was her husband of three to four years. And right in front of me here was the box with Ekpemi in it. She can't take anything with her. And as her husband spoke of her, he spoke of her deep personal trust in the Lord Jesus that had carried her through all the trauma and tragedy that led to her death. And of a deep assurance that she had that she was going to be with her father in heaven. And so, of course, there was the sadness, there was the mourning, there was the grief. There wasn't a dry eye in the place, of course, but there was the assurance and the confidence and the certainty, our father in heaven. You know, pity the poor man or woman who walks through life without a close personal relationship with the God who made them. Fearful for the man or woman who approaches death without such a relationship. Now you sometimes hear people, don't you, suggest that a preacher's material has no bearing on Monday to Saturday. You can't accuse Jesus of that in the Sermon on the Mount, can you? And so allow me to give us just a brief exercise to do when we get home this evening. When we get home, as we sit around the table for the evening meal, would you just do a little look around your home? Consider what the probate officer would make of your possessions or uh, what Michael McIntyre might do with them on a fake uh, antiques roadshow. Uh, please note, I'm making an assumption that even now there isn't a thief in your home making away with them. Of what ultimate value are they, really? What can you take with you? Do not lay up for yourself treasure 
on earth. Now, it may just be, it may be, that the application for some from this talk, I remember David Cook, a very dear friend of ours from Australia, standing here and speaking on a similar passage. It may just be that the application for some of us might be to teach our savings a lesson. You're not the most important thing in my life. I don't actually live for you. There is something far more valuable. I treasure my relationship with my Father in heaven. There's a real danger of these things rotting it up. Where am I invested? Well, that, I think, helps explain why we go to this next point in verse 22 and 23. May I say this is one of the most challenging talks I personally have prepared for a long time. I've been thinking long and hard about it overnight. But the second, verse 22 and 23, how are my eyes? Because these contain a warning about our eyes. Jesus wants us to watch our looks. And Jesus pictures the eye as a lamp or Perhaps a way of understanding it is as a window on our whole being. So 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So I think a window pictures it uh, well. The window lets light into our home. If the window is good, the light lights up the home. If the window is bad, we stumble around in the darkness. If we're in the dark and we have no electric light and we have a lamp, well, the lamp just throws light on the whole thing. Jesus says, actually, your eye is the lamp of your whole being. Which way is your eye directed? It's linked, isn't it, to where is our treasure? So it's the weekend. We've slept in on a day off. The curtains and blinds are drawn. We roll out of bed and make our way to the window. In the semi-gloom, we trip over a pile of clothes that somebody's left on the floor. We trip over the cat and tread on its tail. We reach the window, draw open the curtain, and light streams into the room, and the hazy gloom is dispelled. Well, says Jesus, do you know, our eyes operate like a lamp or a window for our whole being. And the word healthy, if your eye is healthy, translates a word which literally reads single, or even more literally, without folds, unfolded, without a secret double agenda, single, not endlessly distracted. So if our eye is single, it's focused exclusively and absolutely on what really matters, a relationship with God then our whole body will be full of light. What a wonderful image. It's as if being cross-eyed or short-sighted or long-sighted or dimly-sighted is so debilitating, so miserable, actually so dangerous. But if our eye is focused and single, then there will be light coming into every area of our whole being. Now, I don't think Jesus is saying we all need to give up our jobs in the city. Some of us may need to. But he is saying, where is our eye focused? That's the big problem with the Pharisees that's running all the way through this section. What is our focus? Jesus tells us later in the gospel that the Pharisees, they are full of greed, and they do all their works to be seen by men. They are, if you like, double-sighted. 
And we've just heard at the beginning of chapter 6 that the eye of the Pharisee is fixed on the applause of people. They want to please all sorts of people. And elsewhere we see in chapter 6 that it's as if their left hand is wanting to boast to their right hand how good and wonderful their eyes they, they are. So their eyes are not only fixed on other people, but their eyes are also fixed on themselves. My left hand boating, boasting how my right hand is. And so you might say that they are double-sighted. They are short-sighted. Suggest to the Pharisee that they're materialists, that they really followed Madonna, and they'd be utterly horrified. But their eye was really on their money. How much could they make? Their eye was really on what other people thought of them. Their eye was on themselves. I want to feel good about me. I want to be able to boast to me about me. Their eye was really on reputation and privilege, comfort and luxury. And so here is the antidote to materialism. Get your eyes sorted single-focused, without a secret double agenda, which prevents then an overcomplicated life. One writer puts it like this, the man or the woman who divides their interests and tries to focus on both God and possessions has no clear vision and will live without true orientation or direction. Do you remember those old circus performers? Maybe you don't. Uh, who used to spin any number of plates and rush around and keep them all spinning? You know, what do my friends think of me? Am I enjoying myself? What does my boss think of me? How does my profile look? How many likes have I got? Spin, 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 spin. And Jesus says, keep your eye focused, and all these other things will fall into place. And so if the application of 19 through 21 is that we take a trip to the probate office, The application of verse 22 to 23 is that we visit our optometrist. And once again, this is intensely practical. How is our eyesight? Are our eyes single, healthy, generous? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Then light will come streaming into our lives and we'll be liberated from the desperate anxiety and darkness of having to please 15 different people at once. Well, the final piece, who is my boss, 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and neglect the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The idea of service here is slavery, The word for master here is that of an owner. And so Jesus doesn't picture quite a modern-day employee who makes decisions and retains control over much of his or her time. The slave was owned by his master, and the master had total control over his slave. Maybe actually Jesus is picturing the modern-day employee. He says, you can't therefore serve both God and mammon. Now, I looked at this passage with a group of bankers yesterday, and at the end of, them, one of the end of it, one of them said very honestly, you know, we really do think we can. Uh, we manage to persuade ourselves that we can serve both God and mammon, that it's a dual carriageway. 
Jesus tells us there's a fork in the road. And so his encouragement is that we teach our savings a lesson. His encouragement is that we ask our eyes a question. Where are they really focused? And his encouragement is that we show our employer a home truth. You're not my primary focus. How about that in your end of your review? I just do want you to know that you're not my primary focus. I'll do a good job. I'll be full of honesty, integrity. I'll work hard, but you're not my first boss. So we had a visit here from an Australian friend who works amongst students in Sydney University, University of New South Wales. His church is all geared towards students there. You can imagine there are people from all over that part of the world looking to kind of make a big deal of their life. And one of the things he says he encourages them to think of themselves as having two jobs. Oh, a second job, an engineer, an underwriter, a banker, whatever it happens to be. But, but a first job, serving the Lord Jesus. And in a sense, what we do for our second job, it's fairly immaterial. doesn't really matter what we do for our second job. It's just there to feed the face, keep the kids fed and all the rest of it. But it's the first job. That's what really matters. Well, Jesus seems to push it even further. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and neglect the other. You cannot serve God and money. So, for the annual review, when it comes to your chance to do a bit of feedback, perhaps it would be helpful to say to our boss, look, I just do want you to know that I'll do a good job, but you're not my primary concern. My primary concern is to follow the Lord Jesus. Don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. He's not necessarily encouraging us all to give up our jobs and go and live in North Wales drinking nettle soup or anything like that. But he may be, for some of us, what Jesus is saying is that where our treasure is, that's where we'll find our heart ends up. I'm going to lead us in prayer. Father, we thank you for the wonderful treasure that you have given to every one of your followers, a friendship a relationship with Father in heaven, that we can call you our Father, that this is indestructible, incorruptible, stands forever. Thank you for the true joy of being able to walk through life knowing that we are your children. Nothing can take it away. And as we work through these incredibly difficult issues, Lord, we pray 
that you would help us to have our treasure in the right place, to be single-sighted and to recognize you as our true Lord. In Jesus' name.